Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Freelance Medical Writing and Editing Podcast. I am Phil Lindemann, your host. Uh, on today's program, I'd like to tell you about a new project that I've got going, an, an upgrade on the Freelance Medical Writing and Editing Center that I've got going. Uh, I also want to share with you a, um, uh, an interesting uh, article that I found on Retraction Watch. Um, but uh, I, first, I got to tell you, uh, I am um, uh, electronically challenged this morning. I had begun recording this uh, podcast here in the air-conditioned comfort of my eastern Massachusetts accommodations, where we're in for another scorcher. It's going to be 91 degrees outside today, uh, and, and I'm going to remain blissfully inside. Uh, and I had... Uh, was going to record the podcast from my iPhone, which generally had been the way that I do it. And then the thing decided to reboot uh, while I was in the middle of the podcast. So I'm beginning again on the laptop. So we live and learn. Uh, uh, we learn not to do repeat the mistakes that we've made before. So suffice to say, I am going to be uh, recording these from my laptop if I can remember how to do it. Um, so a lot of things to talk to you about today. Um, the the new uh, experience, which I'm very excited about. Um, this uh, fascinating um, story in Retraction Watch and the issues underlying it, uh, which really are going to sort of motivate the conversation for today. Uh, and I'd like to tell you about all of that. But first, I'd like to tell you this. So there's this friend of mine who is a neurosurgeon. Okay, operates on backs and nerves and brains. And he's got a beautiful home, beautiful kitchen, granite countertops, center work area with all the pots and pans and implements hanging down from it, and a an absolutely gorgeous sink, which on a Friday evening, sometime between 5 and 5.30, springs a leak. Now, folks, if you ever had a plumbing problem on a weekend, you know it's a challenge to find a plumber. It is the absolute worst time to have a plumbing problem, particularly at around the um, end of business on a Friday. So my friend does what uh, any desperate person would do. He Googles the following, plumber near me, and Google dutifully returns a list. And uh, my friend uh, gets a plumber on the phone gets him over to his house within an hour before there is a major flood. Plumber sticks his head under the sink, makes some adjustments, problem solved. In and out in 15 minutes, folks. Okay? You think, terrific, end of story. But the following week an invoice appears by email, uh, and my friend opens it and discovers that uh, the plumber has charged him um, about $250 for 15 minutes of work. So the uh, telephone number is uh, attached to the invoice, so he calls it, leaves a message, gets a phone call back. And my friend, who's had a, some chance to take some deep breaths, had been very upset, but he, he he's calmed down by now, and he very earnestly asked the plumber, uh, you know, you were really only in my house for 
pretty much exactly 15 minutes and you charge $250, that's, if I do my math right, is $1,000 an hour. Now, you may not have known this, but I am a neurosurgeon and I am confident that I do not charge $1,000 an hour. And the plumber responded, well, when I was a neurosurgeon, I didn't charge that much an hour either. So, now, when I first heard this joke, the, the point was, listen, being a plumber is a pretty good gig, right? They make, they make good money. And it's actually true. Uh, and another sort of sh um, uh, gloss on this joke is that plumbers overcharge or, or that they charge too much or that plumbing is expensive. Of course, now with the benefit of hindsight, you know, this is all nonsense. Um, plumbers command the kinds of uh, incomes that they make because their services are, uh, th this is commensurate with the value that they provide to society. You can see where I'm going with this, folks. Um, one other story that I have, one of my... <laughs> One of my favorite true plumber stories is one of the happiest people I ever knew on Nantucket Island was a plumber. And this guy had a J21, which is a high-performance racing sloop. And this thing was a thing of beauty. Now, sailboats in general are not cheap, and a J21 is no exception. And, and I, I would go sailing with this guy. And you, you could not, you would have to surgically remove the smile from this guy's face because he was so happy. I mean, life was good for this guy. And what did he do? He was a plumber. No shame in it. Life was good. Um, the, the, the other reason to, uh, to tell the story has to do with an important distinction that I want to draw for you today, um, which is very simply the difference between cynicism and skepticism. Now, I don't have Google open in front of me. I haven't got the definitions. I'm going to tell you off the cuff what I believe to be the definitions of these two things. Cynicism is generally the belief, the understanding that everybody, including yourself, um, has is self-interested and every decision and move that we make in life, whether we want to believe it or not, is self-motivated. Now, I believe this to be true, and I believe it to be no source of shame. Everything that you do is self-motivated, even anonymous giving to charity of large amounts of money. Why? If it, if you did not, if it did not satisfy some self-interest folks, you would not do it. Imagine if, I mean, with very, with very few exceptions, no, I think with no, excuse me, with no exceptions, if you did not gain substantial amounts, or not even substantial amounts, any amount of benefit, metaphysical, internal, even external, from anonymous giving, you, you, you would do it, right? If you didn't get those things, I, I, I suggest to you that you would not do these things. So it is not. Uh, it, it may be cynical to suggest that a, a plumber charging $250 an hour, of course, now the, the, the price would probably be more. Um, $250 a, a, an hour is, it, 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 you might call it cynical uh, to claim that uh, this guy is in the business um, for money. Um, I would say that 
he it, it is done for uh, that there is nothing wrong with self-interest and like my um plumber friend from nantucket uh he is definitely deriving um he is definitely enjoying life right he is providing a service which my friend de which in in the story anyway uh, uh the neurosurgeon desperately needs and is willing to pay uh, in in excess um of uh, uh is is rather to trade money for something he needs more which is prevention of a flood in his house you get the idea but cynicism is sometimes often confused uh with skepticism meaning now for me is is simply the refusal to believe in the absolute unwavering truth um of anything now I want to put a slight gloss on that. Um, I believe that one can be a skeptic and still believe that the dispassionate pursuit of truth, which is what uh, is going on in medical uh, and, and basic science, um, is aiming towards uh, absolute truth. Because for me, otherwise, what is the point? What is the point of the pursuit uh, if there is not an endpoint, right? Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to try to figure out the pathophysiology of, uh, of COVID-19. Uh, if you believe that there is no pathophysiology that, 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 that is coherent, that, that is understandable, that is comprehensible um, by the human mind, what's the point? There is no point. So... But skepticism refers to the refusal to um, believe anything that you're that you're told at face value, without a a certain amount of evidence brought to bear. And we can argue about you know how much of that would be necessary, and and that's really where that's really where the money hits the 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 the, the rubber. Excuse me, <laughs> where the money is, where the rubber hits the road, right? In, uh, in scientific inquiry. Um, but really, I am going somewhere with this. Um, it, it is not only okay to be skeptical, um, for many, many reasons, it's a darn good idea to be skeptical of anything that crosses your path. Now, um, I'm not sure how much of this is human nature. I'm sure a fair amount of it is human nature. It has always been the case uh, that folks have been willing to accept at face value anything that they're told. This is particularly uh, for for uh, cynical, self-interested reasons. If it makes, if they have their, if if it suits them, if it makes, if if it somehow serves their self-interest. Um, the the goal, by the way, in skepticism is to fight that impulse to accept something because um, uh, we we call it today confirmation bias. We we call it a lot of different things. Um, but uh, the the goal, uh, it, it seems to me, is to uh, appreciate, listen to, sort of nod your head, raise your eyebrows. But not accept as, uh, as as gospel. Pardon, please, pardon the expression, folks. Um, without a certain amount of evidence. Now, uh, has this always been the case? I don't know. It, there, there, there are there are uh, classic um, 
sort of sayings, and I, I don't know uh, I, to whom they should be attributed, and I didn't do this homework before I recorded this podcast, but there is a, a mantra which I repeat um, to my family, especially to my children, that goes like this. Believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. And boy, oh boy, how true that is today. I'm going to say that again, okay? Believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. Now, when that was first, <laughs> there was no such thing as Photoshop when whoever said that <laughs> first coined that, uh, that expression. Um, it is easier than ever to deceive with the eyes. And there's a, a heck of a lot of deception going on out there, and I'm going to get to that in a second when we get to um, when we get to our uh, our retraction watch um, uh, article. Um, in fact, I, I am going to get to that because I, I want to save the uh, I want to save the, the stuff that I'm really excited about telling you um, uh, for last. Um, Retractionwatch.com. For those of you who are not familiar, um, is not a watchdog organization, but it, it, what it is, is it is a, an aggregator of um, news uh, and commentary about um, scientific medical articles that have been um, made it out into the world and have turned out to be wanting in some respect and have been retracted. But it's a little bit more than that. I mean, there's also, there's articles about uh, outright fraud, uh, and, and all kinds of, um, of products of uh, human weakness. And in today's Retraction Watch, there is an excerpt uh, from a book uh, by a guy named Stuart Ritchie, who I'd never heard of, uh, who has written a book called Science Fictions, How Fraud, Bias, Negligence, and Hype Undermine the search for truth. I mean, right up the alley of stuff that we talk a lot about on this podcast. Um, it's not a long article, but I'm not going to read all of it for you. I'm going to read an expert, an excerpt of this excerpt um, because it really dovetails with the topic about skepticism that I'm that I'm referring to today. Um, its relationship to to cynicism and how you should know the difference between the two. All right. The excerpt begins like this. One of the best known and most absurd scientific fraud cases of the 20th century concerned transplants, in this case, skin grafts. While working at the prestigious Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute in New York City in 1974, the dermatologist William Summerlin presaged Paolo Macchiarini an Italian surgeon who in 2008 published a fraudulent blockbuster paper in the top medical journal, The Lancet, on his successful transplant of a trachea. We're talking about Macchiarini here, okay? Uh, Macchiarini claimed to have solved the transplant rejection problem. Sorry, this is, uh, this is uh, Summerlin. Had claimed to solve the transplant rejection problem that Macchiarini encountered. Using a disarmingly straightforward new technique, in which the donor's skin was incubated and marinated in special nutrients prior to the operation. Summerlin had apparently grafted a section of the skin of a black mouse onto a white one with no immune rejection. Except he hadn't. 
On the way to show the head of his lab his exciting new findings, he'd colored in a patch of the white mouse's fur with a black felt tip pen. A deception later revealed by a lab technician who, smelling a rat, or in this case, a mouse, proceeded to use alcohol to rub off the ink. There were never any successful grafts on the mice, and Summerlin was quickly fired. And here's where I'm going to get into uh, this business about believe half of what you see in the, in, the, in the age of Photoshop. Next paragraph. Summerlin is hardly alone among scientists in indulging an illicit artistic urge. It's commonly seen in the figures that illustrate scientific papers. With computer graphics, it's never been easier to crop, duplicate, touch up, splice, recolor, or otherwise alter scientific images to make them show whatever you want. Of course, producing fraudulent photographs was eminently possible well before the Photoshop era. Just ask Commissar Nikolai Yezhov, who famously, quote, disappeared, close quote, from a photo with Joseph Stalin after he fell out of favor with the Soviet leader. In 1961, Science Magazine apologized for publishing an article by Indian veterinary researchers who claimed to have found the parasite toxma, Toxoplasma Gandhi for the first time in chicken eggs. Okay, what the article is going to go on to now is, is talk about a, a, a not very elaborate um, ruse involving the reproduction of photographs. Um, but it was published by Science, which is a prestigious um, uh, uh, American, the sort of um, top drawer American scientific journal. But this is, uh, and this is, and this is 1961. But don't be fooled, folks. This stuff is still going on. Um, the article, I'm just going to read only a, a very small, more uh, snippet of the article. You might think that only the laziest scientific frauds would use duplicated images in their papers, making their deceit visible to the vigilant naked eye. But image duplication comes up again and again and has been a central feature of some of the most prominent fraud cases of recent decades. So fraud is out there. Um, fraud. I think is uh, is different from scientific error in that it is um, in some sense deliberate or in, in in the purest sense deliberate or the the person who's put it out there has con has has convinced themselves that it is um, uh, legitimate um, although uh, it is done deliberately um, I'm thinking of um, uh, a a scientific fraud which did, which did not involve publications which is the the whole episode of Theranos T H E R A N O S and and I urge you to Google this um, which uh, uh, perpetrated a a true fraud uh, in that this company was purporting to um, sell something that didn't do what they said it did which was a a, um, a machine that, that ran multiple blood tests on a drop of blood, and the machine never did it. The fraud uh, was eventually exposed as it had to be, but not before a serious amount of money um, was spent um, uh, because of fraudulent claims um, made by the, uh, the company and, and particularly its owners. So there is fraud. There is another uh, lesser um, uh, sort of um, boo-boo that occurs in um, the scientific literature, and that's called um, error, error, mistake. 
I am going to argue that the way that one handles fraud is the same way that one handles error. Okay, and this is the beauty of this enterprise that we are involved in uh, as freelance medical writers and editors. All right, and and that is the scientific method itself. One of the important uh, aspects of any scientific enterprise is reproducibility. Okay? If an experiment cannot be reproduced, sort of by definition, it must be discarded. Right? Uh, this is the basis of a second sort of principle of, uh, of the scientific method, and that is falsifiability. If a statement cannot be falsified, it is by definition not scientific. All right, we're talking about axioms. And listen, there are axioms all over the place. Uh, there are uh, laws of nature, right? Um, by definition, they cannot be falsified. We're getting, this is a, we're getting into um, philosophy and Karl Popper and uh, uh, all the way back to the, to the ancients, you know, to, to Aristotle regarding the nature of truth. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. Just to give you a, a, a sense about skepticism and why skepticism is healthy, folks, um, I, I keep coming back to um, Einstein's um, 1915 um, uh, paper on um, general rel relativity. It turns out actually that there were several such papers because um, at the time, uh, one didn't publish uh, uh, retractions, one published, or, or even errata, uh, one published new versions of one's paper. It was, it was a fascinating pre-internet uh, pre way of sort of continuously updating one's findings. And that was perfectly kosher in the, in the early 20th century. Um, what I wanted to talk about skepticism is there were certainly skeptics of, um, I, I, I couldn't find much information about skepticism to the, uh, the theory of general relativity, which discussed the way that gravity affects space-time. Um, but there certainly was a fair amount of skepticism about the uh, the special theory uh, of relativity, which had to do with dynamics, which was downright um, dismissed. Um, in uh, here's a, here's a quote from a, a, an article at JSTOR Daily, uh, J uh, as in John S T O R dot org, or it's rather daily dot um, Great website. As late as 1923, a British physicist despaired his coevals were still, quote, ignorant of Einstein's work and not very much interested in it. Uh, I mean, there were, uh, not outside of Germany, there were folks who bas basically brushed this stuff off and said, eh. They were so wedded to their view of the past, which had to do with the, uh, the theory of ether. I mean, um, this this business of this the universal speed limit being the speed of light, and the sort of the odd th uh, observations that were being made needed to be explained some way, and um, the theory of ether e t h e r uh, made sense until um, it was experimentally disproven. But you know, old habits die hard. Uh, Einstein and Lawrence. L-O-R-E-N-T-Z, uh, basically provided the mathematical and physical justification for why there was no such thing as ether. 
uh, and that special relativity described the way that that uh, what happens to um, objects when they start to move very very fast. Uh, but there was an enormous amount um, of skepticism all the way back then, and this is Einstein. I mean, how dare you, right? That's because how, how dare you doubt Einstein? Well, that was the way. Even when they were wrong, right? Uh, they, the the opponents of Einstein's theories, were perfectly, in in my view, one hundred percent justified in their skepticism. And uh, in fact, we needed their skepticism. Um, Einstein needed to be empirically uh, shown to be either correct or incorrect. And in fact, uh, the um, experimental data. Um, repeatedly, and this is the key word, repeatedly has shown that the general theory of relativity is correct, right? That it, it provides an accurate description of the way that um, these observations, uh, uh, the, the, the way that these things that we observe in nature occur. And until uh, it is disproven, and this is only going to happen by repeated uh, uh, experimentation, uh, can these be accepted as the current scientific reality, which is what what is going to have to be a proxy for the the sort of the canonical uh, absolute truth, which I believe exists, uh, and we are constantly moving for uh, towards it. But uh, as in um, the difference between the uh, uh, Galilean, Newtonian, and Einsteinian um, versions of the world, uh, for our, for all intents and purposes, uh, if we get close enough of it. Uh, enough to the truth um, in our in our sort of Newtonian um, existence here. That's good enough for me, right? It may not completely explain the way that the universe works, and that's fine, and we should continue to try to pursue um, quantum gravity and unified field theory, what have you. But in, uh, and, and until we get there, uh, it's okay to be a, a skeptic. Um, it's also okay. It's not just okay to be a skeptic. It is essential to be a skeptic. And furthermore, it's not just okay to be um, a cynic, except that you are, a, except that cynicism is the way of the world. We all act out of self-interest, right? Now, that completely relates to what we do as, uh, as freelance medical writers and editors. You, like I, want to make the world a better place. We want the science to be better. We want the communication of the information that we are uh, uh, transmitting from either from ourselves or from our clients uh, to the world to make the world a better place. But you would be foolish to argue that you're doing it for completely altruistic reasons because I argue there are no completely altruistic reasons. And when you uh, embrace this, when you embrace this, this idea, I find this completely liberating. You can do an awful lot of good for the world. You can do an enormous amount of good for the world based on your own self-interest. If you do it uh, uh, ethically, right? It's okay to be wrong, just don't commit fraud. I don't think there's anybody who would argue that fraud is a good thing for reasons that I hope are so painfully obvious I don't need to explain them on this podcast. Now, this brings me to the really exciting news that I wanted to talk about in our remaining minutes, which is um, this new website for freelance medical writing and editing. Uh, and against my best judgment, I'm going to tell you what it's called because it's not up yet. Please don't 
type it into your uh, your browser bars because it will come up empty. Um, it's called uh, libertyfreelance.com, libertyfreelance.com. And here's what it's going to do. Um, this is going to be a complete upgrade of the Freelance Medical Writing and Editing Center that I've got going because it's going to be more user-friendly. Not just user-friendly, but the world is going to have access to it. it. There is still going to be membership. In other words, what, what membership, what this mere $5 uh, a month is going to buy you is a way to present yourself to the world in the form of, of profiles, which are going to be able to show the world what your talents are, what your skills are, what you bring to the table. Okay. Uh, not only a way to attract gigs, this is the center is not only going to be a place where you can find gigs, where, where, but it's a place where you can attract gigs, particularly uh, clients and importantly, recruiters. Why? Because I'm going to make sure that it happens. Okay. And in addition, there is also going to be this educational content, um, which I am confident is going to increase your store of uh, knowledge of human capital that is going to make you more valuable in the marketplace. Okay, so this is the this is the 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 sort of uh, uh, increase, the kind of um, uh, boosting of your uh, uh, experience, knowledge, and um, and skills that is going to uh, help you make more money not to put too fine a point on it, to make more money as a freelancer. Uh, so those of you who are uh, already members of the Freelance um, uh, Medical uh, Writing and Editing Center uh, are going to be grandfathered in, so to speak. Um, we're going to, uh, you know, your the $5 a month that you're paying, it's a pittance compared to uh, what you're going to gain.